Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that tailors to your needs but always demands a cutter to edit the episode. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching, including a full series retrospective of Severance on Apple TV. We'll talk real news. And our main review is The Outfit, starring Mark Rylance. Available in UK cinemas now. But give it four weeks, it'll be on streaming services. Yeah, for sure. Before we dig in and get to the general chit-chat and obligatory watch list and what have you, we've got some news, haven't we? Some important scheduling news for the future of this podcast. Yes, we do. Something that we think our listeners should know. Am I, am I doing it? Are you? Oh, I, oh, okay, I'll do it. Every two weeks, we're doing it. We're going every two weeks from now. Yeah. We nearly maintained a 100-episode run uh, every week. Not every week there was one or two missed, but... Life's got in the way, hasn't it? It's just become a bit unsustainable. And what we're going to do in the background is hopefully better this show and reach a wider audience. I think we've done pretty well, to be honest, but we've kind of took our foot off the gas when it comes to growing the audience ever further. And that's what we're going to strategize and yes. you know use proper hearts and minds to come up with a full plan going forward. So hopefully we can monetize this and quit our day jobs, right? That's right. That's the plan. Yep. With that, there you go. That's how it's going to be going forward. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. It is the way it is. James, how have you been in the intervening weeks? Are you well? I'm very well. I did something major. I rearranged the furniture in my living room. Oh, my word. Which has given such a different look that I did feel refreshed. And we, we just said to each other, me and my wife. No? Uh, yeah, my wife. <laughs> The room looks bigger. We feel refreshed. The wires are in a better place. The sofa looks smaller. This is good. That is good. Different feng shui. Is it feng shui? Or fe- I, don't know. I don't know. I, don't know I think what people usually say feng shui, I think. I don't know yeah. if that's the correct. I don't I know if that's just westernized pronunciation, though. I'm going with the northern pronunciation, but we'll leave it there. Good. It can help reinvigorate things like that, can't it? I used to change my bedroom around as a teenager every bloody week. How are you, Daniel? I'm very well. I had a really good Easter weekend, but then I ruined it all by smacking my car into somebody else's whilst, I'm going to be honest, looking at my phone whilst reversing. Unforgivable, unforgivable. So this was a parked car. Nobody was in it. I wasn't travelling at speed. But then I, I reached this sort of moral quandary where I thought I could easily drive off right now and get away with this. I did a quick scan round. No one was outside. No one was looking. Did occur to me that they'd have CCTV, though, but only after I'd sped off from the scene of a monster in crime. And then my conscience got the better of me, and I went back and left a handwritten note saying, I'm really sorry. Here's my number. Give me a call. And they did. And all I can think after sending somebody £400 is, why didn't I just put a digit wrong on the card that I left with my number? Why didn't I do that? That would have been halfway between being decent and deceitful. Full of death, not halfway. Okay, <laughs> 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 yeah, 25%. 25%? 30%? Yeah, no, I think fully, fully deceitful. Okay, right, fair enough. So anyway, I've done the right thing. Karma should hopefully be on my side going forward. The, the other thing as well, my car, not damaged in the slightest, did really well off it. 
um, but hers battered, battered. So I, I could have easily just said, nah, your problem, love. But no, anyway, it's done now. And she messaged me and said, thank you for doing the right thing. Not a lot of people would do that in this day and age. And I'm thinking, wish I hadn't. Well, we'll move on from that because I don't want to think about it any further. That's a lot of money down the drain. What have you been watching this week? I have watched Pachinko on Apple TV+, Plus, which is a very well-reviewed Korean programme. It's based on a novel that I have not read as is standard by Minji Lee. It's about a Korean woman who moves from Japanese-occupied Korea in the 1930s to Japan. And it's about the generations of her family, mainly her grandson who works in a bank in America. And the narrative is split between the 1931 story with young Sunja, the woman, and the 1989 story where she's an older woman. Is that clear, the setup there? I followed it, so it must be. Okay. So in 1931, young Sun has to struggle through poverty and, and hard times with the Japanese. And in the 1980s, Solomon, her grandson, he's working his way up the corporate ladder as he finds his cultural identity. My review of this is that it's fantastic and brilliant, guaranteed spot in the top five at the end of the year. Watch five episodes. It's a weekly release. On a technical level, it looks lovely. The time periods and locations are convincing. The music is, is poignant. The acting is perfect. The story is epic and sweeping, but it's intimate as well and full of ideas which are relatable, but it's also something new about people and experience that I know nothing about. Pachinko, watch it. How can you guarantee it? Guarantee it. A spot in the top five that's i know severance is going to be in there yeah so you're saying you will not watch three tv pieces of content that will well no more than three that will appear in that list you can't possibly predict that no i can't i can't I've, I've, I've overstated it a bit but it's really really good it would come as a massive shock and surprise to you if it wasn't in the top five yes yes i feel like i was nitpicking there there was no need very good Another reason to subscribe to Apple TV. We'll give you another reason later on. What mm. else have you been watching? I've watched All the Old Knives, the Amazon Prime film, starring Chris Pine and Thandi Newton. Thandi Newton, who I didn't know, changed the official spelling of her name. Yes, I found that out this week and thought, why are you typoing it for me? I've put it in right. Because she's had some bad press this week, hasn't she? I'm not seeing the bad press, but... oh. Carry on. She said that when she was first in a film, they misspelled her name, and it's only in recent years that she said, this is actually how I spell my name. That's it. It's a spy thriller, all the old knives, and a lot of people seem to be watching it. I was drawn in. There's a terrorist hijacking at an airport that goes badly wrong, and some years later, Chris Pine is tasked with exposing a possible mole that was the cause of things going wrong. You should know that this film is based around a conversation in a restaurant between Chris Pine and Fandy Newton and flashbacks to this one airplane hijacking. The information is uncovered in flashbacks. There are twists, but it's all based around that restaurant scene. I was expecting more spy stuff to happen because the, the blurb on Amazon Prime was very, very well written, very enticing. And I think that affected my enjoyment. It's okay. It's, it's, it's fine. 
but that's why I should say you should know ahead of time that it's a small-scale film that's about the acting and writing more than anything else. A bit like a film we'll discuss later. But the acting is good, and Chris Pine and Thandi Newton are good and have chemistry. So it's fine. It's okay. Better than a number of Netflix original films that I've watched but then never talked about. I was a bit on the fence when it came to if I was going to watch this or not, but I don't think you've whetted my appetite enough because it's just okay by the sense of it. Yeah. If anyone's interested in advance of real news, Tandy Newton was due to star in Magic Mike and she has left the production because she's been having some onset meltdowns and is reportedly off to rehab following a divorce from her husband because uh, she's had quite erratic behaviour on set. So there you go, tabloid nonsense. Out of the way, done. Okay. I didn't know they were doing a third... Magic Mike film. No, did I? And is there any, is there ever anything like bad publicity these days? Surely that's just skyrocketed that pe- into people's consciousness. I can't speak this week. Consciousness is, you know what I'm trying to say. I know what you're trying to say. I know what you're trying to say. Well, you better get ready to speak properly because I'm going to ask you, Daniel, what have you been watching? I've been watching nothing anywhere near as exciting as you. It's just a load of bollocks. The first of which is Open House, the great sex experiment. This is a new Channel 4 documentary, and the setup is numerous couples, they're looking to spice up the sex life, and they're doing that by introducing other partners. And they attend a nice country manor where Channel 4 have neatly laid out a sex therapist, a bunch of singletons, and you know a room ready for them to do the things that they need to do in. And it, it, it's an exploitative program. There's, there's no doubt about that. But we we get to see these couples either flourish or fall apart. And that's because they realise that this, you know, fantasy isn't everything that it was cracked up to be. And you do get some quite, not explicit, I would say, but grainy black and white camera footage in the rooms of these liaisons going on. Liaisons? Like, how old am I? I'm not 60. It's a threesome, whatever. <laughs> Uh, it leads to some pretty awkward moments. And there's one couple in particular, oh, this is so bad. The woman wants to bring in this other woman and for them to enjoy that together. She's well up for it. And you can just tell that the guy is not, he's he's not sure about it. And it's a little game you can probably play with your partner if you watch this, where when you're introduced to the couple initially, you can already call out which one is up for it and which one isn't. And it will play out exactly as you would predict. And it goes as bad as this encounter happens and the guy just basically turns over and goes to bed, goes to sleep whilst they're still at it next to him. And then they have a massive argument in the morning, which producers were definitely banking on, and then they've got to talk through it in therapy. I really shouldn't waste too much time talking about this, but this was anecdotally a pretty funny thing that happened as well. Shameful, really, on me, but, you know, I'm an open book. So we're watching this programme and the second couple come in. And I thought, and I know them. I know them from somewhere. And then without thinking ahead, I just turned to my partner after I'd realised where and went, those two are on Pornhub, which was met with the sort of disappointment that you would expect. Anyway, it's probably some of the worst that TV has to offer. But nonetheless, I am finding myself intrigued enough to carry on watching it. So, And I probably will do still. So perversely entertaining what's it called again open house the great sex experiment the two that were on the from a famous adult video site they're just doing it for exposure surely that's not a sincere participation really is it 
Quite possibly, but they do actually seem like a very in love couple and it is a, a huge risk for their relationship to, I mean, I don't want to speak exclusively about what their content is online. I don't know them that well, but that's not what they do normally. It's just them, I believe. Um, so yes, agreed, but they don't state that at all, that they do that in the program. Right, okay. They only say webcamming. So it's not a direct advertisement to their content, so to speak. I feel yeah. like I've gone down a rabbit hole here. Let's leave it. Let's just leave it. What else have you been watching? Next up, something that I did not think I'd watch, Moon Knight, the latest Marvel Plus TV show. Long-time listeners will know I'm not a huge Marvel fan, but I did need something to review, and I thought, well, what's one episode going to hurt? And I, I've not watched One Division. I don't think I even spoke about it on this podcast, but I gave Hawkeye one episode and thought, nah, not for me. I thought I'll give it another go. And it definitely did help that I've heard pretty pretty healthy reviews and it's got a good rating on IMDb. And I, I think the only negative thing that I've heard is that Oscar Isaac's accent is ridiculous and jarring in it. It's not. It is nowhere near as bad as people are making out. I'm not a southerner i'm not cockney so i'm not one to judge but i do live in england and i've heard enough of them it sounds completely fine and i i actually liked how fun and enjoyable he is in this because normally I've, I've not seen everything oscar isaac has ever done but from memory he plays like quite a serious and stoic character in everything that i've seen this is a bit of a different turn and he's pretty much a bumbling fool of a man for the entirety of the first episode so he plays stephen grant and we get this early introduction to him and he's chained to his bed and we're not too sure why. He unstraps himself, he opens up these numerous locks on his door and he sets off to work at this British museum. I'm not sure what his job is. It's like he, I think he sells sweets to kids in the museum as they're going through on tours. I think that's it. Anyway, he has some random interactions with his co-workers that don't make a lot of sense. And he finishes his working day. He goes home, gets in bed and then awakens to find himself in the middle of the Australian Alps for absolutely no reason whatsoever. He then runs into a very quaint-looking town square, and he comes to learn that he's got this sort of ancient artefact on him, and this angry cult led by Ethan Hawke is trying to recover it from him. All the while, he's got this strange voice talking to him in his head, which is very reminiscent of Venom, by the way. But before you've even had a chance to draw that comparison you suddenly thrown into a massive car chase through the Alps, which is really impressive, I thought. It was very cinematic in how it was presented. And it's all accompanied by Wake Me Up Before You Go Go by Wham, which is the second best use of that song in media. Zoolander will always take the first prize. Anyway, all that's to say, it's very well choreographed and entertaining, and I would recommend watching it just for that sequence alone. If, if you're lost, by the way, and feel like this summary is a bit all over the place, that is exactly what this first episode in is. You're thrown into it and you've no idea what's going on or why, but I think that's kind of what they're going for because the rest of it is equally bizarre. It is straight up weird and there's a lot of going on, of stuff going on, sorry, but just no explanation behind any of it. I finished the episode. I had no idea what I just witnessed, but. I really enjoyed it, and I think I want to learn more. Moon Knight. Moon Knight. For you to say it's good, that makes me think maybe it is actually good, because it's only had good reviews, and I've resisted because I don't want to commit to another eight hours of Marvel content. But if you're saying it's good, maybe it is actually worth watching. I know that as it goes on, he has multi, he has a different personality, at least one different personality each episode, 
with a new accent to go along with it. So it's more, it gets more and more of like, what, who is he? What, what is he doing? So I think you're right. You're not super, really supposed to know exactly what's going on. And that, that is my only reservation about this is if you're saying, obviously it's continued. I think there's about three episodes out now and no one seems to have said, ah, it goes downhill. That was my concern because it is so all over the place that you think, is this going to like come together at some point? Um, but it seems as though they do know what they're doing. And and if anything, for me, it was it's another example, and I'm unqualified to say this, I guess, but it's Marvel taking a gamble and not sticking to this completely rigid formula. So I think it's worth watching on that basis too. Very good. Severance. Severance has finished its first series on Apple TV+. Plus. We've watched all of it and we'd like to talk about it, but in a totally spoiler-free way which might be a challenge. What was your overall impression then, now that you've watched the full series of Severance? First off, I just wanted to highlight something and just see if you're experiencing this as well. Did you take this Severance to be a very much talked about and discussed show? Only towards the end, that on my like aggregator of content, as the series went on, it was getting further and further up the list of like popular programmes. See, I, I just took it as a given that everyone's talking about this program, but I think the more that I've spoke to people who I actually know, friends and family and co-workers, no one has a clue that this series exists, which blows my mind. And I think it's one of those things where on the internet, if you're in this sort of culture, you'll know about it. But if you're not, not a lot of people subscribe to Apple TV+. Plus. So please, please listen to us. This is worth the subscription. You've got Pachinko as well that James talked about earlier. Yeah, I thought that this avoided doing what so many TV shows have done in the past and completely stuck the landing with the end because so many examples, isn't there, of things where starts well, they've no idea because a lot of people, they write series as they go along and they don't really know where they're going to finish up. They might have even done that here, but it just made so much sense and I was so satisfied with the end of it. So you've got, obviously, this pretty high concept going on, but there is character development there. They exploit it so much, they do so much with it and they leave you where they've answered like one or two lingering questions that you had but they've also introduced so much more, but managed to not make it unsatisfying. And I just don't think I can commend them enough for how this finished. It was a great final episode. Yes. And just to explain what the concept is. So oh, yes. in the in there is a company that exists where you can have your brain severed into so that when you're when you're at work, those memories are separate from your outside world memories so you go you get in the lift to go to work and the next thing you remember is coming back out of the lift you have no memory of what happened at work it's a separate life but the, when the person that's out at work you're inny that's all they know of their existence so they appear out of the lift at 9 a.m at the end of the day 5 p.m they get back in the lift and then the next thing they know it's 9 a.m again and they're, they're at work so it's, it's a work-life balance story but like yeah. you said, it, they really exploit that concept to the fullest. And it really makes you care about all the characters It's as well, doesn't it? It's not just, oh, what's the mystery? What's really going on? What is this Lumen company really up to? What are the goats about? It's actually, oh, I, re- I actually care about these, these four characters that work together. By the end, you really want them to do what they're setting out yeah. to do. And for me as well, it- it kind of masterfully sets up that character development. So it gives you enough 
that you care about, but you get to the last final two episodes. I, I don't think this is giving anything away because I'm being vague, but you come to learn that you actually don't know anything about them until those last two episodes. And then there's just so much more to work with in that second season that I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to. I don't know about you, but I felt as though it's probably an obvious statement, really. But the last episode is so structurally different to the previous eight, but it didn't feel out of place. Felt like they'd actually, without me knowing it, just been working up to this moment. And how they go about that last episode as well, what I thought was going to happen was completely turned around. And we'll probably talk off Mike um, in a minute about that because you don't need to know. And James might be scratching his head saying, I don't know what you're on about, or you might know exactly what I mean. But yeah, just brilliant all over. I can't sing its praises enough. This is definitely guaranteed in my top five. Yeah, guaranteed, guaranteed. (laughs) That last episode, so the other eight, nine episodes, they cover quite a lot of time. But the last episode, it's almost in in real time, isn't it? Mm, Quite short. And I was watching that thinking, I want want more to happen. I'm I'm not satisfied. But then I realised... What's actually happening? I'm really, really into this. I'm so involved that I really want to know what happens. And yeah, it all built up. It built up perfectly to the end. I had I had a real panic moment when I saw that the episode was only 40 minutes long. I thought that there's absolutely no way that you are going to deliver in 40 minutes. And somehow they did. So well done you, whoever may have been involved. Ben Stiller and the other Ben director. Stiller, the, doing the best work of his life. Please, please go and sign up to Apple TV. You can do it for free and then just cancel. Just binge watch this, maybe Pachinko, and cancel it. Yep. Coda, get Coda watched as well. Mm-hmm. I think we came off as positive there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Tell you what's not ever positive, James. The world of news. It's the real thing. It is now. Real, real news. News. What do you got? Boring financial stuff first, but we'll try and, you know, interject with our personalities and make it not boring. few different news articles over the last few days from different outlets just hinting at the fact that Netflix is, is in crisis mode. I don't know if you knew, but globally, Netflix announced, this comes courtesy of The Guardian, that it expected to add 2.5 million new subscribers within the first three months of the year. And that is massively down on the 4 million that they got in the first quarter of 2021. And this is the bit that I didn't know. That's wiped off $45 billion from its value for investors, which is quite a lot. And that's within this Guardian article, just got a lot of people saying, oh, they need to switch things up. They're not dominating as much as they actually think they are. People are going to get tired of this shtick and they want something different. So you best get your act together, Netflix, even though they seem to be dominating. The other thing that I didn't know was that they actually spent $17 billion on content last year, which again, eye-watering, which I think is the very phrase that is used in the article. It is. I've stole it. And they're going to do $19 billion this year in 2022. So all that is basically linked into the fact that there's another news article saying that, especially in Britain, where the cost of living is going up. 1.5 million British households have now cancelled their accounts for streaming services within the first first three months of the year. So I guess I'm asking you, James, do we really give a shit? And is this a sign of trouble for Netflix? 
Uh, that'll be fine. Let's see what the stock price. Oh, oh, the in the, the past in the past six months, the Netflix stock price has gone down forty five percent. That's not good, is it? Ouch! It's the year the year today minus forty one percent. This is not good at all. Oh no, it's all it's all going wrong, isn't it? It's all falling apart i do, i also like you just assume that they are dominating but i suppose it's like i think i've said this before it's like facebook where you can't add any more users because everyone everyone has it already yeah. everyone that's going to get it has got it and unless you have a massive in, increase in population suddenly like an influx of like aliens you're not gonna these millions of people just don't they don't exist so they're not yeah. gonna it's not gonna happen Retirement homes will not be adopting the Netflix model anytime soon. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. The other thing with this as well, do you remember when we did the which streaming service would you pick on a desert island that weirdly had internet access? Yes. I'm not going to rehash the same content, but we compared content libraries for each service. I ended up picking Amazon because it had a bigger content library. This news article as well, without giving any stats, said that all these competitors... Now that you know studios are involved and bringing out their own, they're actually huge libraries in comparison to what Netflix has to offer. So it is what we covered in another conflicts of interest where we said, will people just get to a point where there's too many and they just stop and say, hang on a minute, I want to do something different. I think we just cannot predict where the world is going. The last three years have been evidence of that, and this is just more of the same, but on a lesser degree of severity because it's streaming services. Yes, that's right. I've got the Netflix stock price up. As we've been talking, it's going down as we're speaking right now. It was $348.15, and now it's $347.86. So as, as we have, it's gone down again, it's 72 cents. <laughs> Hot content. I mean, this won't come out for another six days, but at the time. Yeah. Oh, it's gone up. I'm not going to. I'll just close that. <laughs> I won't be able to resist commenting on it. Yeah, the content's going to keep being stripped away. Like Star Trek is going to leave Netflix because uh, Paramount Plus is coming out and they'll keep losing that old content, which we've previously discussed. Yeah, something might happen. Within within our lifetime, it's all changed to streaming services and like we say, it can't, it can't go on forever. The, the other thing that I didn't touch on that is referenced in the Guardian article, which is a fair comment that we did touch on, is you know the latest Oscar win with Coda and Apple TV taking that award home. I think Netflix wanted to be the first, and they're not. So that's that's the other thing that's counted against it recently. Yeah, I was I was very happy to see that that Netflix was not the first streaming service to win best film, and I can't believe that Netflix orchestrated the Will Smith slap just to distract from Apple TV winning <laughs> best picture. You might be onto something there. I've got my tin hat on. I think you're right. Anyway, that's enough of, of financials and whatnot. What have you got? All I've got is that Jason Momoa is going to be in a Minecraft film. No more details. Just the making a Minecraft film. Warner Brothers. Why? Why? Because he's got no original ideas left. I don't need... Do you know what? I'm saying that. I've no idea what that would even look like because I've never played Minecraft. I don't know if it's even got a narrative. I don't know either. So we've not played Minecraft and there's no details really about this film. So there isn't really much to say. Presuming that we're right and it doesn't have much of a story, maybe that's how you do get good video game adaptations is take something that's more of a blank canvas 
and a basic setup and just do your own thing because they've already proved time and time again. I mean, look at Assassin's Creed. That was so steep in law and mythology and it was wank. Sorry, you're going to have to cut that out as well. It was terrible. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Watch this space. Might be good. Yeah. There's a detail in the Hollywood Reporter article, actually, that Warners have been developing a project based on the game for years with Sean Levy and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia star Rob McKelney among those who've been attached to direct. So maybe if he does it, it might be a more of a comedy and good. That's given me a bit of faith, actually, because we were both quite the fans of Mythic Quest, for season at least. Well, I wasn't going to mention this, but I suppose it conveniently ties in. If you didn't think Hollywood was scraping the barrel enough, there's also going to be an Exploding Kittens series. So if you're not aware, that is a card game. A card game. So who knows? We might... (laughs) Who knows? I was going to say they might make an Uno film soon, but that just felt like I was playing on words too much. Anyway, Exploding Kittens, watch this space. Yeah. Let's move on to the main review. Hello? I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is The Outfit. It doesn't terribly much matter where I am. I have my shears. What else does a man need besides his shears? This isn't art. This is a craft. You cannot make something good until you understand the customer. Do we let all of our customers keep black boxes in back? If we only allowed angels to be customers, soon we'd have no customers at all. Please, I don't want any trouble. Film tailor made for people who want to die of sheer boredom watching poorly stitched together scenes with no narrative thread to hang on to. It's not a full three piece suit, it's just pants. I could go on, but I don't want to string you along. Oh, no, you didn't. I'm getting into a pattern of doing puns for this part. It does suit the podcast. Stop. Just stop. It seems you get the point. <laughs> I'll cut it there. Is that, is that all you got? Yeah. No, I think that was tough. I hope to God, James, well, we will show what we really think of this film shortly, but I hope you've manipulated your summary there based on comedy alone and it doesn't reflect what you actually think about this film. But we will see. IMDb would say that it's about an expert cutter who must outwit a dangerous group of mobsters in order to survive a fateful night. Daniel, what did you think? Of the outfit. So, provided you don't know what you're going in for, and I did not even read the plot summary that I've just read to you there, the first 10 minutes would make you believe that you're watching some deep exploration of tailoring in the 1950s and what it means to be the best in the goddamn trade. He's English. I don't know why I've just done that. Thankfully, because I, I don't know if that would have sustained my interest, but it isn't about that. And I was going to ask, can we give away? you know, what happens after 15 minutes. But the plot synopsis has done that for me. What we've got here is it's a really stripped back mobster film that takes place in a single location and relies on things such as, would you, Adam and Eve it? A storyline, a build-up of tension, strong performances with characters, 
you might gather from that that it's not a film that demands to be watched in the cinema. But at the same time, it, I don't want to put across the impression that it's not worth your money and that there aren't thrills to be had because there definitely are. And for me, I think this is a really well-paced thriller that I'd argue matches, if not surpasses, a lot of recent big budget Hollywood films because it, it has that compelling narrative and it is worthy of your time, in my opinion. Mark Rylance plays this mild-mannered Taylor Leonard or, or English, as he's more often referred to. And sorry, he's a cutter, isn't he? He's not a tailor. He would kill me if uh, if you heard that. He's very softly spoken, and you get the sense that if he can avoid speaking, he will do. He's just a man of, of really few words. And to give you the basic setup, which we'll be outlined in like 15 minutes, I'm not spoiling anything for you. He's basically providing the mob with the means of discreetly storing money, would you say? He gives them a place to like a base to drop off envelopes with cash yeah. in. Yeah. Is that, yeah. And it, he's just like this professional exterior to these shady dealings. Now, we all know, having worked with the mob, you can't facilitate them and not end up getting involved at some stage. So one night, trouble comes knocking at his door and all hell breaks loose and he's suddenly embroiled in this, this gangster business. And it's from that point where shit hits the fan and this unassuming bloke, he's left trying to utilise not his fists or a gun, but his intellect and his cunningness to try and dig himself out of this, this life-threatening situation, which I found very entertaining. The thing that kept me on my toes as well, which, no, careful about what I say, he, he's almost like an innocent bystander to this chaos, and I think the film does a very good job of making you feel like there's more going on in the background to his character, in that, you know, how he's being presented to you, there, I, I was expecting him to just go Liam Neeson on everyone's ass. thought it was going to be Liam Neeson from Taken. And to its credit, it's not that kind of film. It's a lot more subtle than that. But there is something that they do towards the end, which I'm still in two minds about, and we'll discuss that in spoilers. I've been chatting a lot. I'll try and wrap it up. Uh, we're in 1950s America, and the set design and the costumes, it captures that period well. It felt like you know an authentic representation at that time, given that I've lived through it, I can say that. And it's not, it's not a criticism. This is just an observation. I don't think this is an exceptionally shot film. It's quite basic from a filmmaking standpoint. But to be fair to it, again, it's not the sort of film that needs camera tricks and explosions and lush cinematography. It struck me as knowing what sort of film it wanted to be, and it knows how it wants to go about it. And it's going to trust its audience by saying, you know what, when did we ever fall into this habit of thinking... An engaging narrative and strong acting wasn't enough because that's what you've got here. And I'm, this might be coming off a bit too strong. I don't think this is the greatest film ever made, but this came across as a very assured directorial debut by Graham Moore, who, what did he do? The Imitation Game? He's not directed, he wrote it. But for his first film, hats off to him. I'll look forward to more of his work. I thought this was, was very, very assured, as I say, and confident. What about you? I hope I don't repeat too much of what you said, especially about Mark Rylance's character. I have similar comments, which I think shows that the character and the film worked. It's a rare film where I went into it knowing nothing, nothing. I hadn't seen an image or a trailer or a plot synopsis. You just said, oh, it's supposed to be good. Let's watch it. The plot starts off so simple, but elements are added in gradually and delicately, and that really 
got me involved the different objects and different characters do build up the tension i completely agree with that it's a small cast but everyone plays the characters well it's like a stage play isn't it it's like a play adapted into a film it could very easily be a play and it would be a good play the writing is so good that it doesn't get dull even though it is just set in three rooms mostly one room but by the end you have no idea what is going to happen you just know that it has to come to a conclusion and it cannot end well for everyone i did get a bit lost towards the end with the different factions at play but i'm an idiot so i don't think it's the fault of the film mark rylance carries it like you've already said he's mild mannered but there's a lot going on under the surface you can tell that he has a history he's not a fool he appears to be on the back foot but you just know that he's he's somehow keeping one step ahead and it's fun watching his character trying to maneuver the situation and react to dangerous situations the poster and the trailer make this out to be a tough gangster film if you watch the trailer they try the best to cut it up so that it's exciting but it's not it's more of a light-hearted crime caper in my opinion about people playing games with each other and the fun is trying to guess what everyone is really doing and how it's going to end. Very well summarised. I could not agree with you more. Nice that we are on the same page again. Again? When did we disagree last? I can't remember. But yeah, I'm glad you liked it because your comedy summary would have implied otherwise. So had me worried. Yeah, it was a misdirect. Just before we move into spoilers as well, to kind of expand on that point I made around the confidence and trust in the audience. There's so many opportunities in this film where there's a lot of action happening off screen and they could have quite easily shot that and it really not impacted the budget much, but they're just like, no, we don't need it. We can just tell you what's happened. And I was fine with that. I didn't need to see what it is that I'm referring to because I'm not going to ruin it for people. But I just thought, again, good on you for not resorting to thinking I need that. It was a welcome surprise. Yes, and that is why it was theatrical. It was like the soldiers going out to war and then coming back to talk about the battle on stage. Mm. Did so you I, know sorry, did you did you know it was only set in one building, one shop before you watched it? Because it it got to like 15 minutes and then I realized, oh, this is gonna be set in just this one shop, isn't it? Was it the same for you? Yeah, I'd literally seen the poster and seen that it was getting good reviews. I knew nothing more about it. So it really doesn't ruin it to know that plot summary because you get it like 10 minutes in where you find out what's actually going on. So it's fine. Don't think that listening to us has ruined it for you because it's not. It's easy for us to say when we didn't know that beforehand. <laughs> true, yeah. The other thing, which is probably not of any relevance, but Dylan O'Brien, he plays the mobster's son in this. I knew I'd seen him before in something. And did we go watch The Maze Runner? Together. I've not seen the Mares Runner. It wasn't you then. He, I don't know if you remember, he had a really bad accident on set and I think he was out of action for a good few years. So I thought, good to see you back on screen because he was one of the most enjoyable things about Mares Runner because it's not a very good film. So, and he gives a fine performance, as does he everyone does. in this. He does, yeah. Daniel, would you recommend the outfit? You're damn right. Oh, you're damn right. No, I can't do much worse. Would you? Yes, I would. Let's go into spoilers. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. 
there's no easy way to summarize this. I don't, I've, I don't know what to say because it gets really complicated at the end. And if you look at the plot summary on Wikipedia, it's really, really long, which right. shows how much content and writing is packed in to the film. Should we dial it back to its bare bones then? Yeah, what's, the, what's that then? Oh, I knew you'd put me on the hook for that. So in a roundabout way, I've never done this before. I always leave it to you. So we might have to just completely get rid of this and you rehash what I've just done. <sighs> this mobster, the, these mobsters, they've got a good thing going on with Mark Rylance. He's provided this setup for them so they can carry out their business. But they've got a rat amongst the pack. And it comes to the fore that there is a tape in existence that will expose said rap, uh, rat. And this tape that is recovered and is within the... I'm doing shit. I don't know. Is this making sense so far? I don't know. Can I... Try it yourself, yeah. So there's these <laughs> these mobsters visit Matt Rance's shop. There's a rat among them. It's... Mabel, it's Zoe Dutch, Mark Rylance's assistant. And it's revealed in the end that the Englishman, the cutter, the tailor, Mark Rylance, he's been sort of manipulating the whole situation so that he can bring down the mob that he actually hates. Mabel, the assistant, she has a scheme to escape with money and ultimately they succeed. And the whole mob just ends up dead and collapses and a rival gang they sort of come to power instead i think that's a very fair way of putting it and a lot more succinct than i was going for so thanks for that motivationally as well he's doing it to protect mabel isn't he yes he's yes trying to ensure that you know she's gone down this path now of trying to bring down the mob and he'd best do his damn best to make though that make sure that she doesn't end up dead, um, and he does. Yeah, and the, with his the backstory that is revealed with Leonard, the tailor, the cutter. He was in England. His wife and daughter died in a fire, but he's also an extremely tough, tattooed ex mob fighter, badass, and that's revealed at the very end that he rolls up his sleeves. He's got tattoos. He expertly parries a knife attack. And he kills like the final surviving bad guy. It's almost like a weird epilogue moment. That did you not think? I thought the film has finished before that point, and I'm happy with that. That's fine. I get it all. I like the old cat and mouse games going on. I like the reveals. Thanks. And it was at that point where I said that all the way through. I was thinking he's going to turn into Liam Neeson in Taken, but then he actually does a bit. And I didn't know whether I... And I'm not settled on this yet because I'm still fresh to watching it, but I don't know whether we actually needed it to go that far. I was fine with him just intellectually outwitting them. And I kind of wish it had been left at that. I think, but I'm, I'm still processing it. But do you know where I'm coming from? I know from? what you mean. I know what you mean, yeah. He made it all the way through without there being... Without being violent himself. Yeah. But then in the end, it, it, he was he was forced... To be violent. I did think though, I'm gonna be re- I'm gonna try and be clever now. His shears, they were Chekhov's shears. Do you know what I mean by that? No. It's a reference to Chekhov's gun. And Chekhov's gun is a dramatic principle that states that every element in a story must be necessary and irrelevant elements must be removed. So you don't have a gun 
in a film unless it is there is unless it's going to be fired by someone at one point. And he has these shears. He talks about his shears that he brought over from London. And I thought someone's going to get stabbed with those shears. <laughs> Chekhov's shears. And then at the end, when he dodges the attack and he grabs his shears from behind him, I thought I was right. Yeah, he's going to going to stab the last bad guy in the end with the shears. Which, you know, even though I've criticised it, it was a rewarding character moment to see him just go that extra, you know. But yeah, but he, 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 right, he holds the shears over his head, but he decides not to stab him a second time, yeah. which is a bit of an empty gesture because it's like you've already stabbed him in the neck. You're just, you're just going to watch him bleed to death instead. That doesn't mean that you're a non-violent person. He doesn't resort to sadistic overkill. What a great man. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Because yeah. he obviously, I think from what he paints of his past before, he has that within him to be that sort of person. And he's obviously trying to move a lot further away from that. So it makes sense for the character. The only other reason why the ending just wound me up a bit, everything else up to that point was very, very realistic and I bought it all. But then you've got the mobster guy who is shot at the end by the rival mob he must lie there dead for hours or presume dead but then suddenly just wakes up i know he's not all right he's yeah. been shot but i just thought i don't know i don't know anyone who's been shot maybe that's realistic it was I don't more minutes though than hours wasn't it that he was on the floor it was in the time of the film but i don't know if there's a lot to he can't just uproot his entire life in minutes and leave a shop and burn it to the ground he's got to oh do yeah some prep. yeah, yeah. That's right, actually. And that everyone's left as well by that point. And he sits down and has a heart-to-heart with Mabel as well. There's a lot that he's done with yeah, that time. That's a good point. And he's very the guy that's been shot, he's very he has a lot in him, a lot of fight in him, even though he's been shot at point blank range and he's been lying down. But again, why am I just trying to pick out the bad stuff? Because it was a great film. Yeah. Here's another bad bit. Go on. It's not bad. I just wanted to know what you think about it. So there's this time-playing montage where both the son of the head mobster and the other goon. The other goon returns to the shop and Mark Rylance tries playing both of them off each other by having individual conversations and think, oh, do you know, he's been a bit suspicious, blah, blah, blah. They then come to meet each other and I thought it is so convenient that neither of you are saying that, do you know what this guy's just said about you? Do you know what I mean? It was like... You you were banking on a lot there. I've got it played out for you, but that was very very convenient. Yeah, and then when when Mark Rylance is is doing that that bit where he's trying to have private conversations with each of them, it seems like those those two characters, Francis and Richie, they're more loyal to each other than either of them are to Mark Rylance's character. Yeah. So it yeah. so that so it seemed like they would just go to each other and say, "Have you seen what this? Have you?" Why is he trying? Why is he being like this? Glad you agree. It would be like if we had a mutual acquaintance that we both knew and trusted less than each other, trying to turn us against each other. We'd immediately say, "Why? Why is? Why is he being like this?" It's like if they went, "James hates doing the podcast with you. Your presenting style annoys the hell out of him, and he just can't say it to your face." (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest. I'll just straight up ask you. Because I'd be I'd be completely confused. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Any of that true? No, it's not true. <laughs> Anything else for spoilers? Um. So it's all about people trying to manipulate each other and 
the reason we struggle to sum it up is because there are one or two scenes where Mabel and Leonard, the cutter, they explain everything. And there's little bit, there's little flashbacks as well. Did you notice any of the manipulation that people were doing as you were watching? I spotted one thing, which was when Matt Rylance towards the end, he's he stitch he's hand stitching a jacket as he's talking to Francis. And I thought he's stitching the tape inside the jacket. And I was really proud of myself when that turned out to be the case. But that's the only thing that I, I sort of guessed. I'm not surprised you were chuffed with yourself because no, didn't even spot that. I'm not gonna lie and make out that I'm cleverer than I am, because clever is not a word. But I knew other things were going on. I knew there was more to it than met the eye, but I, I couldn't tell you what. I was left in the dark. So no, yeah. I didn't notice anything. Because even what transpires didn't make sense in the moments, but I thought th- there might be some ulterior motive here. So when the mob boss arrives, and I'm pretty sure, what's his name? The guy who's not the mob boss's son. Francis. Francis is out the room and there is a period of time where Mark Rylands can come clean and go, your son's dead, he shot him, I'm just the middleman, I'm telling you what's happened, it's all off your chest. Get yourself out of the situation. But he doesn't do that, he sticks. I mean, there is a point where he starts to tell him and I think that's when he goes, right, yeah, no, I have no other option now. But he goes down another route first and I thought, you should have just done that initially. But again, we'd probably have a shorter film. So it does all kind of make sense, but, you know. Well, I get, I get what you're saying. So, James, I'm going to say, and we discussed offline the other week, choosing to pick films that are not your standard box office smashes makes for a more interesting debate, and I think we should continue to promote these little herd of films more. So maybe you'll see a few more of these over the next few months, which aren't your box office belters, but they're worth your time. Yes, I agree with that. Next week, Fantastic Beasts of Dumbledore. No, it's not. I'm not going to do that. I've heard that is awful. Okay. Really, though, what are we doing in the next episode in two weeks? We will be reviewing the much-raved-about The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Is that right? Yes, starring Nicolas Cage as himself. Well, I'm very much looking forward to Nicolas Cage taking the piss out of himself. Until then, thank you very much for listening. If you wish to leave us any feedback, you can do so by emailing us at inthehousepodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you want to voice your frustration that the episodes will now land every two weeks. It's fine. We'd still like to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at inthehousepodcast and leave us a five-star review and rating. James, people may be planning to go into business with some pretty dodgy characters. What say you to these people? Hatch an elaborate scheme to bring them down and it will all turn out completely fine and watch the outfit for tips right thank you very much bye bye